John chapter 17, let's stand for the reading of God's word. John chapter 17, we'll look at verses 1 through 5. John 17, verses 1 through 5, the word of God says, These words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour is come. Glorify thy Son, that thy Son also may glorify thee, as thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. And this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for recording this magnificent prayer. God the Son talking to God the Father. Just amazing. And we don't have the time uh, to give it the attention it deserves tonight because you've put a specific thought on our heart. But Lord, help us to know how to pray. Teach us to pray. And Lord, that we could pray with power and that we could see answers to our prayers if we've, as we've talked about for now the last almost two years. And we ask that you would give us entrance into thy words, give us wisdom and discernment. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. John chapter 17 is kind of like stepping onto holy ground. Uh, if you have a red letter Bible, the whole chapter is in red. This is the words of Christ. John chapter 17 contains the most complete record of our Savior praying to his Father. Now, often the Bible records Christ prayed. He got up early in the morning to pray. He sometimes prayed all night, but God does not give us a transcript of that prayer. But here in John chapter 17, we have a transcript of this prayer between God the Son and God the Father. Now, Luke chapter 11 is typically called the Lord's Prayer. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. That's often called the Lord's Prayer, but I don't like that terminology. I think a better name for that, Luke chapter 11, would be the model prayer because it's Jesus Christ teaching his disciples how to pray. It was more of an outline of how to pray. Include these things in your prayer when you pray, not just some type of rote prayer that you repeat over and 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 it somehow has a value like a magical incantation. Now, it is certainly a wonderful prayer to pray, uh, but we know that we're not supposed to be repetitive like the heathen are, hoping that God will hear us for our repetition. That's a model prayer, and by the way, one, we're going to end up this whole overarching prayer uh, study with an in-detail look at Luke chapter 11 and the model prayer. We're going to show you the 10 things Jesus Christ said ought to be included in your prayers, but that is, is coming soon. I think that should be called the model prayer in Luke chapter 11. John chapter 17 is truly 
the Lord's Prayer. In the margin of my Bible, I have written by uh, John chapter 17, the true Lord's Prayer, because this is Jesus Christ praying what is on his heart. This chapter can be broken up into three sections, and we're just going to take some time tonight and look at these sections. Uh, first, Christ prays for himself. We read that in our introduction, verses 1 through 5. Then we find that Christ prays for believers, verses 6 through 24. And then we find that Christ prays for the world. Now imagine this, praying for the world. And there is a concept that we can pray for the whole world at the same time. What does that mean? Who is the world? And then some specific prayer requests for our world we're going to look at that this evening. But first, let's look at this. Christ prays for himself. And we taught you this and when we did our study that we're finishing up now. Uh, who to pray for? Number one was yourself. It's not wrong to pray for yourself. We should pray for ourselves. But you shouldn't pray only for yourself, right? Uh Prayer is God's requisition system. We should be praying for our needs, our daily bread, for protection, for spiritual growth, uh, for all of these things that we've outlined. But the average Christian just prays for themselves and then stops. What we're talking about here is intercessory prayer. Me going to God on behalf of someone else, and this is our 12th uh, grouping of who to pray for and how to pray for them when we talk about how to pray for the world. So Christ prays for himself first, which is what we all should do. Uh, you know, I will pray for you better if I have God's help first, right? If I'm right with God first, if I have my sins forgiven first, if I have praised and worshiped God first, if I have mind the, the weight of my needs off my chest, and then I can begin praying for other people. But notice what Christ prayed for himself. And this is so beautiful when you think about it. He gives us a lot of input here, a lot of facts. He said in verse 1, and said, Father, the hour is come. What hour? His earthly ministry was coming to an end. He was going to be going to the cross soon. And he had later, it says, I've finished the work which thou gavest me to do. Verse 4. We know that he didn't finish his ultimate work of dying on the cross. There he says it is finished. But here he's completed his earthly ministry, the ministering around in the towns of Israel for three plus years, uh, healing people, uh, preaching sermons, fulfilling the scripture. Those things were done. What was left was to go to the cross. But look what he prays here in verse 1. Father, the hour has come. Glorify thy Son, that thy Son also may glorify thee. Now it would be wrong for you and I to pray, glorify me. <laughs> you know, Lord, glorify me. No, that would be wrong for you and I because God should get all the glory. However, it's not wrong for Jesus Christ to pray, glorify thy Son. Why? Because Jesus set aside his glory to come to earth and save us. And of course, while he was, when God glorifies the Son, he's glorifying himself. And then he gives some 
surrounding information, but he really just one prayer request in John chapter 17, verses 1 through 5, is glorify thou me, glorify thy son. He says in verse 2, as thou hast given him, who's that? The son, power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. Verse 3, and this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. Isn't that beautiful? Verse 4, I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. Verse 5, and now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. See, Christ is looking forward to being back in heaven, looking forward to being back on that throne, looking forward to being back in his glorified body, hearing the cherubims cry, holy, 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 hearing that innumerable throng sing the songs attributing praise and honor and glory and blessing to him. He's, he laid all that aside for you and I. Imagine the creator walking through the dust of his creation. The Savior living with sinners so that he could save them. He who was holy having to wash the dust and dirt of creation off of his perfect body every evening. I don't think we, there, there's no way for our finite minds to understand the humility of Christ when he laid aside his glory to come to earth. And no wonder he's saying, Lord, it's, I'm about done. It's about over. I can't wait until you glorify me like we used to be. Amazing. So number one, Christ prays for himself. What is a prayer? Glorify thy son. We see in John chapter 17, the second section, Christ prays for believers. Look at verse 6. I've manifested thy name unto the men which thou gavest me out of the world. Manifested just means to show or to make known. Thine they were, and thou gavest them me, and they have kept thy word. You see how there's perfect unity between the Father and the Son? Verse 7. Now they have known that all things whatsoever thou hast given me are of thee. For I have given unto them the words which thou gavest me, and they received them, and have known surely that I came out of thee, and they have believed that thou didst send me. Verse 9, I pray for them. I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine. And all mine are thine, and thine are mine, and I am glorified in them. You hear what he said there? I am glorified in them. Is Christ glorified in, in you and me? When people look at our lives, they give glory to God. You know, when we sin, it gives the enemies of God great occasion to blaspheme. When we sin as Christians, they don't just say bad things about us, they say bad things about our God. But when we let our light shine, then they have to say good things about God because of our testimony. Then we find six specific prayer requests that Christ prayed for believers. Look at verse 11. And now I am no more in the world, 
But these are in the world, and I come to thee, Holy Father. Keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are. So prayer request number one is keep them. Keep them through thy name. Protect them. Guard them through thy name. Verse 12, while I was with them in the world, I kept them in thy name. Those that thou gavest me I have kept, and none of them is lost, but the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. Who's the son of perdition? Who? Oh, the devil, yes, but speaking of specifically the men on earth, who's the son of perdition? Judas. He was numbered with the twelve, but he wasn't saved. He wasn't born again. He's called the son of perdition. And even that was because Scripture must be fulfilled. Verse 13, And now come I to thee, and these things I speak in the world, that they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. This is prayer request number two. Give them my joy. Let them have my joy fulfilled in themselves. Oh, dear friends, I, the older I get, the more I realize how hard Satan works to steal joy from God's people. Why? The joy of the Lord's our strength. And when we don't have joy, when we're just going through things by duty, when, when we're always seeing things negative, when we have our cynical glasses on and everything's bad and everything's terrible and woe is me and I'm a victim and how could this have happened to me? And boy, we lose so much strength and the joy that Christ had set aside for us. Verse 14, I have given them thy word, and the world hath hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. We'll come back to that. Verse 15, I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. So prayer request number three, protect them from the world's evil. Protect them from the world's evil. Notice here that Christ is not praying that they should be taken out of the world. And some of you have felt my frustration that I had as a young Christian. I'm like, okay, God saved me and promised me heaven. Why doesn't he let me go now? <laughs> you know, why does he leave me here to suffer? And... The answer the Lord gave me is because we had a job to do to get the message out to see other people saved, right? If we were to go to heaven, who would be here left to tell others about the Savior? And so Christ isn't praying them to take them out of the world because they were the ones who was going to be taking, <coughs> excuse me, taking his life-saving message to the rest of the world. <coughs> but he did pray for God to protect them that he keep them from the evil. <clears throat> Number 17, or verse 17, Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is what? That's Christ. Christ's estimation of the word of God is that it is the truth of God. But prayer request number four, sanctify them. <clears throat> Set them apart. Make them holy. Verse 18, as thou hast sent me into the world, even so also have I sent them into the world. And for their sakes I sanctify myself, that I also might be sanctified through the truth. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. 
So Christ said, I'm not just praying for the disciples that are with me now. I'm praying for everyone who would ever get saved. That means this prayer is still bringing blessing upon you and I today because we were ultimately saved through the ministry of the disciples. Isn't that good? This is one thing we talked about prayer whenever we first started. We don't understand the power of prayer. You can pray for people all around the world. You can pray for people in the future. You, our prayers are so powerful and so lasting. They're, they're as big as our God is and his, his willingness to answer them. And here the prayer Christ prayed over 2,000 years ago, still blessing us today. Look at verse 21, that they all might, excuse me, that they all may be one as thou, Father, art in me and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. So notice here he prays for unity. We need to pray for unity among God's people. You know, there are things we ought to fight for. We ought to fight for the fundamentals of the faith. We ought to fight for the word of God and the virgin birth and salvation by grace through faith and and, and God's inspired, preserved word, and all of these things. And we ought to fight uh, for holiness and teaching people, yes, today in 2022. It's not okay for God's people to get all uh, messed up with the world. Uh, we are in the world, but the world should not be in us. And so there are things to fight for, but yet God's people tend to fight over things that don't matter. We've got to be very discerning over these things because we need to hold the lines, but we also need unity. And especially in a church, folks, God's people in a church should have unity. Uh, it's not about my personality or your personality or I like this preacher better than that preacher or, you know, I, I just didn't agree with this. Well, is it wrong? No, but I didn't agree with it. Is it biblical? Well, yeah, but I don't agree with it. It's, we, we, can't, we can't do all that kind of stuff. Uh, there ought to be unity in the church. There ought to be unity among churches of like faith, not uh, competing with one another and having these fleshly uh, uh, sins get involved in how churches look at each other. I'm talking about churches of like faith. Uh, but we've, we've got to walk that razor's edge between standing unapologetically and unwaveringly for the truth of God and holding strong lines and getting along with one another in the process. Christ prayed for unity. Verse 22, and the glory which thou gavest me have I given them. Think about that. Why? That they may be one, even as we are one. So verse 21 says, I want them to be one. Why? That the world may believe that thou hast sent me. You know, one of the biggest knocks against Christianity is the world says, why can't Christians get along? <laughs> right? I mean, you two, didn't you two just go to the same church? Yeah, but that guy's lousy. People look at that and they don't understand. They use that as a reason. And let me tell you, Satan, we're going to talk about the, the tools of Satan. Boy, Satan uses every little bit of that uh, to work in people's hearts and minds. And that's why he works so hard to cause discord and division. So he prayed for unity. And then verse 22 says, uh, he's given us his glory that we may be one. Verse 23, and I in them and thou in me, that they may be made perfect in one. Perfect just means complete or whole. And that the world may know that thou hast sent me and hast loved them as thou hast loved me. Did you, did you just catch that? 
boy, I almost started stuttering there when I see that. Jesus said, I want the world to know that you love my people, the people called Christians, as much as you love me. <laughs> that ought to do something for you. And hast loved them as thou hast loved me. Verse 24, Father, I will that they also whom thou hast given me be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which thou hast given me. For thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. And here's a request. Jesus said, Lord, I want them to go to heaven with me. But Jesus knows we're already going to heaven. But remember the intercession of the Lord Jesus Christ. One way we know we're saved is Christ is still sitting at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us, reminding him, praying for us. And here, even on earth, he says, he said, Lord, I, I want them to go to heaven with me. He said, I want them to be where I am. And then do you see why? It's so interesting to see the humanity of Christ, the compassion of Christ. He said, I want them to see me like I really am. I want them to see me in my glory. He said, Father, they believed on me, and I'm just here as a man. I look like them. I'm in a body. There's no throngs of angels, but they believe in me. And Lord, I want them to see me in heaven. And one of these days, folks, we're going to see him. And it's going to be awesome. It's going to be awesome. We're going to find out exactly who Jesus Christ is. I'm glad we bow the knee now because one of these days every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There's going to be a whole lot of people speechless in that day. You hear people say, well, when I meet God, I'm going to ask Him this, or I'm going to tell God a piece of my mind. No, when you meet God, you're going to fall on your faces dead. Unable to speak in the light of his glory. That's what happened when people met simple angels. How many times in the Bible they meet an angel and they fell at their feet dead? The angel had to give them strength to stand back up and have a conversation. Imagine the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, in all of his glory. And I'm glad that we're not going to be on that side being judged, but we're going to be behind him <laughs> as part of his throng. Amen. So much in here. Well, we could spend a lot of time here. But we see the he prays for believers. Number one, to keep them. Number two, to give them joy. Number three, to protect them from the world's evil. Number four, to sanctify them. Number four, that they all may be one. Number five, that we go to heaven and see his glory. And then lastly, we see in this passage of Scripture that Christ prays for the world. The world's mentioned several times. And I'll take the last few minutes and and just talk about this. Look back at verse 9. I pray for them. I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine. So we need to understand here that there's more than one world in the Bible. There's the physical world, the earth itself. There's the world speaking of the inhabitants of the world. John 3.16, for God so loved the what? the world he's talking about the inhabitants of the world but many times in the new testament when the bible's talking about the world he's talking about the world system 
this world empire, this world spiritual system that is not a friend of God. And in this passage of Scripture, he's making it known that he is not praying for the blessing or continuation of the world system. And although he loves the inhabitants of the world, he does not love the world, the world system. The world system is wicked and opposed to God. Let's use our Bibles here briefly. 1 John chapter 5, we'll move quickly. 1 John chapter 5. The world system is wicked and opposed to God. First John chapter 5, look at verse 19. And we know that we are of God, and the whole world lieth in wickedness. That word lieth means it's, it's just laying there. It's not trying to get up. It is under complete and total submission to the wickedness. Why? Because we find out that the world system has a prince. Since the fall in the Garden of Eden, Satan is the God or the prince of this world. Little g God, 2 Corinthians 4, 4, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not. So this world system has a prince, and it's the devil. We find that Christ died on the cross to judge the world and the devil. John chapter 12, verses 31-32. Now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. So Christ died on the cross to judge the world and the devil. So we see that this world system has a prince. This world system has a philosophy. And the world's philosophy is the exact opposite of God's truth. 1 Corinthians 2.12, Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God. So there is a spirit of the world, the world system, and there is a spirit of God, and those two do not connect. The Bible says that the things of this world cannot even receive the things of the spirit of God. 1 Corinthians 3.19 says, For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. And so there's the wisdom of this world, and there's the wisdom of God. You see, all throughout Scripture, you see the world versus God. It's talking about this world system under the control of Satan. We see the prince of the world system, the philosophy of the world system. We see the purpose of the world system. And the world system's purpose is to corrupt people and hinder the work of God. Second Peter 2.20 talks about the pollutions of the world. John 15, 18 says, If the world hate you, ye know that it hated me before you. John 17 said the same thing. This world system hates God. This world system hates Jesus Christ. This world system hates me and you. And what you're seeing a lot right now in this whole political upheaval that you're seeing and and countries trying to decide are we going to be a democratic republic are we going to be a socialist communism thing are we going to are we going to have democracy are we going to have a tyranny what you're seeing is the world system kind of rising out of the fog it's always been there satan has always been there the world system has always been against god but now it's becoming more and more obvious so if you just imagine 
this kind of dragon raising up out of the fog. And now you're starting to see his face. Now you're starting to see his teeth. Now you're starting to feel what he's capable of. Absolutely. That world hates God. And God said, I'm not praying for the world. Christ said, I'm not praying for the world system. They're going to be judged. But I'm praying for my people. God loves the inhabitants of the world, but he doesn't love the world system. Look at this, 1 John chapter 5, verses 4 and 5. For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the what? <laughs> the world. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our what? Faith. Who is he that overcometh the world? But he that believeth that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And see, what you got to understand is, although this world system right now looks like it's, it's winning, and although the governments oftentimes are, are more loyal to the satanic world system than to the God of all truth, what we find is that it is our faith that gives us the victory. And it may look like we're losing a couple innings, or it might look like the game's almost over and we're behind. But dear friend, we know how it ends. We know the final score. We're on the winning side. And it's your faith that will help us to conquer. And this is why tyrants try to always get rid of Christians. Why? Because they can never have our heart. Our loyalty is to a higher power. And they need to be, the government wants to be the high power from the cradle to the grave. They want you to believe that they give the rights, but we believe rights come from God. They want us to bow the knee to them, but we only bow the knee to Jesus. They want us to make them the king of our world, but we only have one king and that's Jesus. And it is our faith that gives us the victory. Dear friend, don't lose faith in these last days because it's your faith that is the ultimate victory. And of course, the greatest victory, believing in Jesus Christ, you know, Jesus said, don't fear him that can kill the body. Fear him that can kill the body and the soul in hell. And as much as I'd like to keep breathing, I fear God a whole lot more than I fear anybody else. And that's what scares them. We can see this world system is not a friend. God gave three requests. We'll finish with this. God gave three prayer requests for, for the world. Turn back to John 17. And I've got just about... Two minutes. John chapter 17. First of all, don't, don't miss the fact that we can pray for the world. Well, you ought to pray for the world every day. And I'm talking about the inhabitants of the world, not the world system. Don't pray for the world system unless you want to pray those imprecatory prayers we talked about last week, right? Last week we talked about how to pray against the enemies of God. We made a, a distinction between the ignorant enemies and those that are avowed enemies of God. And, well, we've got we to use the weapon of prayer against the avowed enemies of God uh, to, to stop this foolishness and keep people safe. However, the, the idea that you can pray for the whole world and everybody in the world is an astounding fact. I mean, think about that. You can, just like Jesus did, you know you can pray for all believers in the world and that prayer counts? I don't even know their names. I don't know their faces. God does. 
You know, we ought to pray for, for people being persecuted right now around the world. We ought to pray for people being martyred in the world. We ought to pray for people sitting in prison right now around the world. And that's what we see. John 17, 15 through 18, uh, Christ prayed to protect believers from the evil of the world. And so we can pray for, for all the believers in the world. Lord, the, Lord, our brethren in these communistic countries, you know the most dangerous place on the face of the planet for a Christian is not Iran. It's North Korea. Think about that. I heard a, a lady giving a, a talk. She was from North Korea, and she's speaking out about North Korea. It is astounding. They don't know anything about the world. They are kept completely and totally ignorant. They are utterly brainwashed. Uh, I'm talking about the average people in North Korea. And listening to this person talk, she actually wrote a book about it. It's astounding. Uh, j just the, the level of, we have no comprehension of what they go through. What about our brothers and sisters in Muslim countries? They have a Bible app hidden on their phone. If it gets caught, the least that happens is they get their hand cut off. The most that's happened is they get their head cut off. We've got to pray for these people. There, there are believers right now that if their own mom or dad found out that they were saved, their own father would kill him with his own hands. Their own mother would turn them in and watch their daughter get killed while cheering. We don't pray for these people. Christians going hungry, Christians starving, Christians living in the hot and the cold and the filth, treated like vermin, and we don't pray for these people. God help us. Shame on us. we get, we got to pray for these people. Number two, John chapter 17, verse 23. I am them and thou in me that they may be made perfect in one and that the world may know that thou hast sent me. We need to pray that the world knows that God sent Jesus Christ as a Savior. Lord, help the world to know that God sent Jesus Christ as a Savior. We need to pray for those, those Hindus that they would know. Those Buddhists that they would know, those Taoists that they would know, those Muslims that they would know, they need to know there's one God and He sent His only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, to be the Savior of the world. And we can pray that prayer and God in His infinite wisdom and power takes that prayer uttered from our little living room or our bedroom here in Rhode Island and He distributes that throughout the whole earth as He sees fit. And if that doesn't make you go, wow! And there's something wrong. The three requests guarding the world. Number one, protect believers from the evil of the world. Number two, let the world know that God sent Jesus Christ as a Savior. Number three, let the world know that God loves believers like He loves Jesus. Do you know a lot of people think that Christianity is the problem? There are atheists in America that believe Christianity is the problem. You ever talk to someone, they're like, oh, those crusades. And I'm always like, hey, that wasn't us. <laughs> you know, study your history. They were killing us before they were doing those crusades. Now, Christianity is the problem. No, Christian, no, God loves believers just like he loves his son because we are his children. You know, a lot of Islam and Muslims think that we're a false religion. Jews think that we're a false religion. And they need to know 
that God loves true Christians as much as he loves his son. Aren't those good prayers to pray? And then once you figure out you can pray for the world, man, you can pray for people to be saved all over the world. You can pray for every missionary in the world. You can pray for God to convict people, those, those people that are, are under conviction that God would somehow send a soul winner around the world to them. I mean, once you get this concept, you can pray around the world. You don't have to know all the names and the faces and the addresses. That opens up a whole new level of prayer that really makes prayer exciting. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the truth. We sure do love and appreciate you, and we ask that you would help us to pray as we ought. It's one thing to hear the messages and to have uh, excitement about them, but Lord, help us to practice these things, just the daily practice of prayer, meaningful, powerful prayer. And Lord, help us to get all these things in print so we can, we've talked about so many things, help us to get them into print so we can get them out to people and they can use them in their daily lives. Lord, we do pray that you'd glorify yourself in us. Pray you bless the offering, our prayer time to follow. In Jesus' name, amen.